We are in a series called Go Eat Popcorn. Uh, that is so we remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're taking time to dig into these letters that Paul wrote to the church uh, because there's so many amazing foundational truths in here that uh, we need to understand in order to experience the full and abundant life that Jesus came for us to have. And so we, uh, last week, if you remember, we talked about yielding to the Spirit, and we talked about reading the Word as we continued to understand what it means to live in the tension of the now and not yet. Well, today we're going to continue on in Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians 2, and I want to talk about a holy temple and what that means. So that's where we're heading today. Uh, you know, I tell bad jokes in this little period of time from the intro to the, to the main thing. And so because of that, people often will send me a bad joke, either email or text me. And so I like to share them with you every now and again. These are, were a couple that were texted to me recently. The rule, I before E except after C, has been disproved by science. Explain it to your spelling challenge, friends. Now, for you math folks, there's a fine line between numerator and denominator. And only a fraction of people will understand this. I get them texted to me. Also, somebody gave me for Christmas a little joke. Uh, It's a little calendar, desk calendar, and every day it has a new joke. They're really bad, but I thought I'd share those with you too. Uh, I ate a clock yesterday. It was very time-consuming. I see that first thing in the morning. (laughs) This was another one. (laughs) My boss told me to have a good day, so I went home. (laughs) I know what you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Scripture reading here on purpose. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built uh, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Blessed be the word. Uh, the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 is filled with some amazing passages. Uh, it talks, you know, it's by grace, you're saved through faith, uh, not by works. Uh, all of these things are in Ephesians 2. But I want to talk today about this idea of a holy temple. And a lot of what's happening in Ephesians 
is that Paul wants us to know who we are in Christ and what that means, who we are individually, who we are corporately as the church. And so he takes a lot of time to sort of talk about our identity in Christ because it's important that we know our identity is in Christ. Otherwise, people will come along and try and tell you who you are or you might think that who you are has more to do, you know, like what you do. A lot of times you'll talk to people about who they are and they'll start telling you what they do. And, and that's not the reality of it. We kind of were laughing this week, Alice and I. So um, we've, uh, we've been together since 1981. It's a very long time, a great time. And uh, let me throw that in, great, awesome time, the best. And uh, when, when we got married, 1982, we got married, um, I was a bartender. And uh, that's what I... And so if you talked to me back then, that had a lot to do with my identity. I was a bartender, and then we were married for a few years, and then in 1985, you've heard part of the story, we were, we were both radically saved, and things began to change, and I felt called into the ministry and those sorts of things, and we embarked in that path, and now 30 years here, uh, we've been serving 30 years plus in, in the ministry. And sometimes, um, this can be a little intense, or that you might get a little tense in the ministry from time to time. We were laughing about, there was a season of about 10 years when I was going to Cuba regularly to plant churches. And I would go four or five times a year for a week at a time. And we had little kids running around the house. We had babies, Sarah and Doug were both little when I was going. And um, one of those times when I was away, we had a little hurricane whip through. And, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> and I, I, I can, when I got home, you know, it wasn't a great hero's welcome. And, uh, my wife, she'll still say this every now and then. I love this too. It really helps ground me. She looked at me. She said, you know, uh, I didn't marry a pastor. I married a bartender. <laughs> and, and that helps me even to this day. It grounds me. But see, our identity is not what we do. It's about who we are in Him and we need to know that. And, and God can use us in amazing ways and he, he changes us and all this stuff happens. So we need to understand this idea about who we are in Christ. And part of what Paul's doing for us today in Ephesians is he starts to talk about us as a holy temple. That's point number one in your notes. A holy temple. Now, I think when we, when we hear about a temple, we start to think about a physical place. Let me read it, Ephesians 2.21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we, we read about a temple and I think we, we immediately think of a physical place. Just like we do when we, we think about church, for the most part, um, when we think about church, we tend to think of it as a building. Um, like when we're going to church, today when you said, hey, we're going to church, you can't help but think about it, you were coming to this place. But the reality is, this is just a building, it's a facility. Um, you're the church. So when you were considering coming today, you were just being the church, coming to join the church corporately, but individually you're still the church. And so you're, you're the church when you're here, and you're the church when you're out in the world, you're a church on mission, but you're the church. And so, so this is what church is, it's, it's people um, filled with the, the Spirit of God who've come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, you get it? So we're the church. Well, Paul's talking about the temple in, in much the same way, and we need to understand it in the process. So to really understand this idea of temple, we have to uh, take a little journey through the Bible together. So we've got to go back to Genesis 1.1, actually, uh, and most of you know the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. Now, we will often get stuck there in our finite mind and we'll start picking that apart and we'll miss what we really need to talk about. Well, in the beginning. So I have people come to me sometimes and say, well, what was before the beginning? And I I say to them, listen, this in the beginning, this this is, uh, you, you know, God gave to Moses the first five books of the Bible sometime after the Exodus. And Moses records all this for us. And what he's talking about here, this beginning is uh, the beginning of our story with God. God is eternal. God is infinite. God has always been. There was nothing before God. God is God. You need to know that. So what's happening here is um, what God is making sure that we understand is that what he did was when he began to move into this process with us is that he created the heavens and the earth. And then in the Genesis account, he speaks 10 times. God says, God says, God says. And he's ordering everything from this formless, void, water-covered mass that we talked about the other day into something spectacular um, where, where God and humanity will dwell together. And the, the picture is of a cosmic temple. And what it is ultimately is it's a place, a garden, where heaven and earth meet that's what you need to get from the Genesis account, the creation account. It's heaven and earth meet there perfectly in the garden. God and his creation in perfect relationship. And so it's a picture of a cosmic temple. Well, we know what happens. Adam and Eve at some point in time choose to go their own way. They, they make that choice and the result is the fall. And lots of consequences from the fall. But the big one is that now heaven and earth are separated. And it's caused this major rift. And so we we see that taking place. And then we talked the other day about the flood, which was a type of reset. And once again, this whole thing is covered in water. But now there's this, my picture is always of the ark sort of bobbling on the waters in this mass, big expanse. And there it is. And it's the, the crimson thread of redemption is alive. There's a way for us that God is making. And it's there in the ark. And then, you know, Noah comes on shore and they start to repopulate. And we know the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, part of this thread of redemption. And at the end of Genesis, we have Jacob, who is Israel, that's what he's called, going to Egypt uh, to survive a famine. And uh, Israel's a family at that time of about 70 people. They go to Egypt. Now, uh, in Egypt, um, for a while, everything is good, but then the pharaohs change out and things happen. And the people of uh, Israel there for about 400 years, somewhere along that journey, they're put into slavery and bondage. And what we know next that happens is, is something we call the Exodus. Next book in the Bible. But the Exodus theme runs throughout the Scripture. Don't limit it to that book. The Exodus theme, the theme of Exodus, is how God rescues people from slavery and bondage and brings them into the promised land. It's a picture. It runs throughout. We have it in the New Testament. It's what Jesus is doing is rescuing us from slavery and bondage to sin and the enemy and bringing us to eternity with him. It's this picture that runs through. So the Exodus happens. And I can't get into all the events of the Exodus. We, we don't have time. But the big news is that God uses Moses and Aaron and uh, they start doing miracles. God does through them. And there's a series of miracles that take place and plagues is what happens. But it's God moving supernaturally to the point where Pharaoh finally releases Israel. And Israel is released and they start on this journey and then Pharaoh changes his mind. And you know that they're ultimately delivered by going through the sea. Israel is and the sea covers up. Pharaoh's armies, they're set free. They've grown from a family of 70 to a nation of 12 tribes. And now they're on the other side and God's got them. And he begins to lead them and they have to learn to trust him. And ultimately he takes them to Mount Sinai 
and they're on Mount Sinai, he speaks ten words, just like the first ten. Um, you often read them as ten commandments, but the, the language is ten words. And these words are about how they're supposed to live. And the first three are about loving God, and the fourth one is about loving yourself, and the last six are about loving your neighbor, loving others. And what you need to know is they were, it's a love thing, not a law thing. It got twisted over time because, see, it wasn't how you earned freedom and deliverance because they'd already got that. This was something happened after he'd rescued them. This was how you were supposed to live as people that had been rescued and delivered by God, and you were to love God, love yourself, love others. Same deal still applies. But they didn't. (laughs) And then something happens. But what he does show them is this. He says, listen, while they're in this uh, Exodus journey, I want you to build a, a tabernacle. And this tabernacle is going to be portable. You're going to be able to take it wherever you go. And when you build this tabernacle to these specific designs, what's going to happen is I'm going to come and my presence will be there. And so in the tabernacle, there's a place once they do it once again where heaven and earth meet. Hadn't happened since the fall. Now there's a place where heaven and earth meet. It's the presence, literal presence of God in the tabernacle. And ultimately, the tabernacle becomes the temple. When they finally arrive in the promised land, they build a temple, remember the Holy of Holies, surrounded by a curtain, and God's presence comes and settles there. Heaven and earth are there, connected again. Now, it's not like it was in the creation because nobody's got access except for a high priest once a year. But the presence of God was there. People would come to the temple and they'd they'd look for forgiveness and they'd sacrifice and they'd worship. They'd do those things. Well, uh, just like Adam and Eve, Israel chose to go their own way. And because of that, they're kicked out of the promised land. And God ultimately uses the Babylonians to come and they take Israel captive and they destroy the temple. And once again, we're at a spot in time where there's no place for heaven and earth to meet. And the Israelites are carried off into captivity for 70 years. While they're there, you can go and read it. The the prophets begin to speak, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. And what they say is, yeah, okay, there's a time though when we're going to rebuild the temple. And when we rebuild the temple, the presence of God is going to come back and it's going to be better than it's ever been before. There's a new covenant that's going to happen. The the Spirit's going to be more real. All these neat things are going to happen. And after 70 years of captivity, the people of Israel are finally released. They go back and they rebuild the temple, but the presence of God doesn't show up. They're like, what What happened? We had all these prophetic promises. And finally, the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, in Malachi 3.1, he says something very fascinating. He's saying, listen, oh, it's going to happen, but it's not going to be the way you expect it to happen. And this is what he says. Let me get down there. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Shows up, there's a 400-year silence after that. And then another type of Old Testament arises in the New Testament. And you'll know him when I talk to him. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is sent, he's called to prepare the way uh, for Jesus. Okay, good. You're all with me still. I got you in this story. All right. So John the Baptist arrives on the scene. He prepares the way for Jesus. Why is that so significant? All right, well, let's go. Point number two. It's significant because of this. Jesus embodies heaven and earth. See, we talk about Jesus being fully God and fully man. Jesus is the place when he arrives where heaven and earth meet once again. He's, he's fantastic 
because there's never been anyone like him. John, the apostle, starts to write about it. He says in John 1, he's going to link us back to creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We get this heavenly aspect in the process. And then he pops down to verse 14, and he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's this connection to heaven and earth because that word dwelling, fascinating what that word actually means. It means tabernacle. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. It's a place where heaven and earth connect once again. And this is such a big deal. And, and, and so then in John 2, when Jesus is at the temple, when he says what he's about to say, it starts to make sense. John two nineteen, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. All of a sudden, when they see it happen, they get what he was saying when he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He was talking about himself, and they start to make the connections that they hadn't made before. See, Jesus doesn't have 12 tribes, but he does have 12 disciples. And, and just like Israel, he goes to Egypt for safety, and then he's delivered out of Egypt. And just like them, he goes through the waters at his baptism. And when he comes out of the waters, where does he go? Into the wilderness. And out of the wilderness, where does he go? He goes to the mountain where he speaks a sermon, where he speaks about life once again to everybody. He's reordering things. And they finally make all these connections of what's happening. And they go, this is so big. They have that going on. And then we, there's this verse in Matthew 27, 50. When Jesus dies on the cross, it, it says in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple, that big curtain that was protecting the Holy of Holies and separating the, where the presence of God was supposed to be was ripped open and something significant happened. And Paul goes, this is what it means. When, when he created this temple originally, it was never about a place. What God wanted to do was have his presence in people. And so the third thing is, see, that we're going to need to talk about the portable presence of the Lord. Because what Paul says is, those of us who've come to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're the temple of the Lord. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves, and it's plural there, are God's temple, and that the Spirit, that God's Spirit lives in you. That's the church. And then individually, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. do you not know that your body, it's an individual thing, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. He's making this amazing connection. See, the church, corporately and individually, we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is we're the place where heaven and earth meet. Ephesians 2, 19 makes sense now. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. See, see, this is where you've, uh, you've got to let this sink in. 
because you're the portable presence of the Lord. And there's something so amazing about this. You know, I talked last week about we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit. I said nothing quite like that. Well, you need to allow this to resonate with you. You, in you, as a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, you are the place in you where heaven and earth now meet. That's why you're the temple. You need to, that needs to change. When you, when you will just take that in a little bit, it will absolutely change the way that you think about everything. Because you're not just kind of going through inconsequentially. You're the temple. The, the, you're the place where heaven and earth reside now. And, and we're to take that, the, the presence of God. We're the portable presence of God. The church is to take that everywhere we go. See, the, the temple isn't restricted to one place now. We can go and we can do the things that they had to do at the temple. We can extend forgiveness to people. We can love people. We can show them the way to God so that they can come to know him forever and ever. Jesus, when he was here, he went with his body everywhere he went. He was taking God with him. That's why he was forgiving people everywhere he went. He was doing what the temple did. And now, because of the death and resurrection and, the, and having the, the, the curtain torn, now it's us, See? It's a bigger deal. We're the body of Christ. And everywhere we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. We're the place where heaven and earth meet so that people can come and find how to get connected for themselves. If you will drink that in, if you will allow that to resonate with you, it has to change you. It has to. Because that's who you are. It's not what you do. It's not any of these other things. It's not what people tell you are. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're the place where heaven and earth meet. And it's a very real thing now and will be forever. So this week, I just want you to take that in. I want you to think about that. Don't let that get away from you. You hang on to that because it will absolutely change you from the inside out now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Ministry team, those of you here, why don't you head over to the wall? We're going to pray here in a minute. I do want to say when you go have breakfast, the sausage are different this week because they ran out of the other sausage. These have skin on them. Other than that, everything is the same. I just like to jump out there ahead of problems where I can. Skin on sausage. Delicious, I've heard, and we'll go back to the other ones next week, but they didn't have them, so what are you going to do? That was easier than telling you, sorry, there's no sausage. I know, see? (laughs) Papa, thank you. There's no one like you. Thank you for this life that you've given us. Lord, help us to understand what this means. That that you, you... We're filled with your spirit. Heaven and earth meet inside of us. Until your return, God. So... Lord, let that change us. And not only change us, let it change us in a way that it impacts people around us for you. Bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area that hundreds and thousands of people will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray again for every church in this area where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, dead. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome, awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, folks over there will pray for you. They'll pray for your healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that today too. It's humility and faith. In humility, it's just getting before God, admitting that you're broken like all the rest of us, you've sinned. 
asking Him to forgive you, which you do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, do it today. Best decision you will ever make. And if you need help, just go over there and ask somebody. Say, I want to know Jesus. They'll know exactly what you mean. They'll help you through a simple prayer to do that. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided, even the sausage with skin on. Thank you for everybody that made it happen. Draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God, so they can hear about your love for them as well. You are amazing. Praise God from whom all blessings. bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace and go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayer is there. Breakfast is in the back. As you go, be kind to one another in the parking lot. Remember your new creations out there. If you're going out, catch some fish. Have a good day. Hope your team wins. Hope your driver wins. See you later.